something has to pull you to the specialty and you have to love it because it's a lot of work. When I came back, all children with end-stage kidney disease died. No, no kid died. Well, hello and welcome back to the Global Kidney Care Podcast. I'm your usual co-host, Roberto Picoafilho. I'm a nephrologist and I am the co-chair of the Education Working Group at the International Society of Nephrology. And I have the pleasure of having back to the show my co-host, Smita Singh. Well, thank you, Roberto. And I'm absolutely honored to be introducing Marilyn Miller to the podcast today. I'm going to attempt to try and do her some justice, but I suspect I will not. Uh, Marilyn Miller was the first paediatric nephrologist in Jamaica. She did her MBBS in the West Indies in 1978 before doing a residency in Toronto. Following her return to Jamaica, she founded the Jamaica Kidneys Kids Foundation in 2012. Um, she's a paediatric nephrologist at the University of West Indies and University Hospital of the West Indies. Uh, she also heads the paediatric nephrology clinic at the Cornwall Regional Hospital in Montego Bay. It's an impressive portfolio, but for me, one of the things that I really enjoyed reading about was her approach to mentoring. Maylin has mentored at least five additional paediatric nephrologists in Jamaica, and she's directly responsible for every single paediatric nephrologist in Jamaica. And hopefully we'll cover a little bit more about that during the course of the podcast. So I'm absolutely delight- I'm delighted to welcome you to the podcast, Maylin. Um, so I'm going to kick off with the first question. Um, so I'm going to take you right back to your youth. Uh, when did you first decide you wanted to be a doctor and what ultimately led you towards paediatric nephrology? So I think as a child, I either wanted to be a doctor or a teacher. When I was in high school, I saw how mean the children were to teachers. So then it became medicine. And when I was doing internship, I did six months in the pediatric surgery department. And there were these several children with posterior urethral valves who were in chronic renal failure. And nobody knew anything about how to manage them. Nobody knew what normal values were. So I decided that this is what I would do when I finished. Um, it's probably very interesting to be in that environment and you know, come up with um, you know, some of this planning for early career. So you, you moved from Jamaica to Toronto in the 80s and um, had your training there. Um, then you went back to a country that actually had uh, no... Uh, pediatric nephrology. Um, this is, it's, it's amazing to think about what was your feeling when you got there, you know, looking at what needed to be done and how to take the first steps. Why don't you, you know, walk us through, you know, your, your feelings when arriving back in the country and trying to start organizing things? Well, this is something I, need, I knew I needed to do from the time I went away for training. And during my electives, I'd come back to the island and work with the adult nephrologist for a month. So I had an idea what was going on. And then when I came back, I looked at all the hospital admissions for the previous five years to see what sort of pathology was present. And then I started the nephrology clinic. And then once you're in the at the university, you, you don't get a chance to subspecialize. You're doing general pediatrics. So every time a child came on the general ward, I would go and keep, make a note of them and made sure all the ones with kidney problems came to the kidney clinic. And, uh, and so we got the clinic, the clinic working from then. And then we started doing the renal biopsies. And uh, 
being involved in training of the residents. And I think that's been one of the most um, important part of everything because by training them, you expose them to a subject they were never exposed to. A number of our residents go back to the territories from territories from which they came and they go back with more knowledge and, and nephrology than they did. And then as time went on, I produced um, pediatric nephrology manuals with normal values that they could take back home. And there was always an open avenue of communication that wherever in the, in the Caribbean they were, they could call and get, get advice. So I don't think I was ever intimidated. There are some people who come back um, and they don't, some things are not the same as abroad. You can get dipsticks abroad. They cost a lot. So we found out that when I was at Sick Kids, we also used sulfur salicylic acid. That was cheap. So all the nephrotics started monitoring their urine with SSA. And we cut down on the admissions with edema just nephrotic syndrome. So you learn to adapt. Uh, that's something that, you know, I have never had to do. So it's phenomenal. I don't even know how I would do that. It just goes to show that apart from being a doctor, you've had to be an adaptive doctor. Um, and I want to bring in at this stage one of the big achievements and everybody on the podcast can't see it. But behind Merlin is a big banner that says Jamaica Kidney Kids Foundation. Um, so you founded this in 2012. But what prompted you to found that foundation and, and what did you hope to achieve? And following on from that question, what do you think, you know, what do you think you have achieved? Did, did you achieve those goals? Well, in 2012, it has always been a, a dream for me that pediatrics would have their own unit for dialysis. And in 2012, the Bridge of Life came to us with a proposition that they would outfit an entire dialysis unit with everything, but we didn't have a space. And we thought, well, the only way you can get funding from people is to have a respectable organization. So we founded that to fund a building, but then it turned out that we would never be able to afford it because the, the electrical system in the hospital would have had to be upgraded. So that was completely out of our range. But we also realized myself and the first um, of my protégés, we realized that every week we were opening our purses to buy equipment, lines, etc., for the patients. And then we thought maybe it would be better that we start using the money that we were we will collect to help in buying supplies that the patients couldn't afford or the hospital couldn't afford to pay for. So that's how we started. But then we expanded into some many more goals. The, our motto is that no child should die of kidney failure because of lack of funds. So one, we started providing supplies to all the hospitals who help children with kidney disease. The hospital who benefit, which benefits most is the University Hospital of the West Indies because it's only hospital in Jamaica where children under 12 can get dialysis. And so we provide the dialysis consumables. Initially, we were doing both hemo and peritoneal supplies. The hospital seems to have become more self-sufficient with hemo, so now we just do the peritoneal. This will enable the parents not to have to pay for dialysis. We also give the hospitals whatever else they might need, for example, like blood pressure machines and so on. The second arm was education in the form of public education because we do outreaches at a, to schools and to churches. And on, in World Kidney Week, we do go out into the plazas and teach people about it. And the, another major goal was being able to train people in the field. 
So we started a scholarship fund and uh, on the, we were able to get two doctors trained at Mont one in Montreal Children's and one in Sick Kids. And we were able to help the third that the government paid for to get training in Montreal as well. Um, so these were direct benefits from the scholarship fund. Um, we have also an education arm for the parents and a support group. And I feel best about the support group. It's a group of parents whose children are on dialysis, and this has become like a family. And many of them found that when their children got chronic kidney disease, the families kind of isolated themselves because they thought that every time a conversation would help, was going to be held, that the parents would be asking for money. And so the people kind of distanced themselves. So the parents consider themselves a family and they keep in touch. Before COVID, we'd have meetings every month or two, but that is not really possible anymore. So they communicate on WhatsApp. And uh, we also help to pay for the children's blood tests every three months um, and whatever medications they're not able to afford. So it's education, support, and the family support group. It's interesting that the you know you you described the model that got things started and uh, you know allowed the the expansion of access to you know complex treatments like you know renal replacement therapies. But uh, you know ISN is involved in this kind of discussions, and there's always a a will that sometime the government gets this uh, you know the the activities and understands the importance of that and incorporates into the public healthcare system somehow to make it, you know, sustainable at the long term and, and take the burden outside of, you know, the shoulders of people like you and your foundation. So ha has this example that you provided attracted the attention of the government and well, the government, well, the, their government hospitals and their private hospitals, and there is a hybrid. The government hospitals offer private dialysis, I mean, sorry, public dialysis, so which your parents don't have, families don't have to pay. The waiting list is extensive, and you kind of have to wait till somebody dies to get on. The, um, the private system is where people end up flowing over to, but only being able to afford one session per week. So they're all in bad shape. And that's only for adults. The government does not, up to now, despite many petitions, has not recognized that children need to be on this program. And they, so the only hospital is UWE, which is a fee-paying hospital. So, so far, even if the kids may have their pre-dialysis care in the pediatric government-funded hospital, once they come over to the university hospital, they have to pay. So it hasn't materialized, although, you know, we try. <laughs> lobbying, you're educating, you're training, you're supporting, but you're also funding uh, kidney care um, for these kids. Um, I'm sure this is a challenge that a lot of people experience in their, in their areas. What would you say to someone who's listening to you going, wow, that's amazing. How do I do that? We have a really amazing board of directors. Um, kind of basically they've all parents of children I have looked after in my pediatric practice. They have great ideas and they know people <laughs> and um, they have directed us in avenues where we can send out proposals. 
And I think the biggest, the biggest event that made us recognized as an entity that could be trusted. Every year there is a island run called the Sigma run. And it's every year they, whatever proceeds that are, are made are dedicated to a cause. We were beneficiaries for two consecutive years. And I think this is what brought us to public attention. So since then we haven't had problems um, uh, in getting our requests assisted. But you have to start, and we started just with little tins, old paint tins with a cut in the middle with our label on it in stores. So people became aware. And sometimes people with big pockets went to the store and then they would call and say, well, what are you doing? Can we help? But I think the important thing is, is to believe that you can do it. Sometimes, if you, if you, even though the girl goal looks insurmountable, if this is what you want, you cannot accept that it's not possible. It will be possible as long as you don't give up. And if you start off saying it can't be done or it's too hard, you're never going to get anywhere. Well, talking about the believing, um, I wanted to talk, talk about the um, construction of the work, working force in pediatric nephrology in Jamaica. I imagine that you spent many years being the single nephrologist in the country, right? How, how many years was that that you were the Well, only? I came back in 1984, and the first, the other pediatric nephrologist who was from Boston Mandy Children's, came back in 1919. She, she, she was already working as a nephro, as a pediatrician, and in 1999, she went away for training. And then between 1999, it was 2012, and then the cluster the 2016, 2017, and 2019. And how, how was it to attract this young docs to pediatric nephrology? Well, the, the pediatrician, um, I think she may have had an innate interest for some time because she was in the field for quite a bit and she realized that her hospital, which has probably the it is the only pediatric hospital in the Caribbean, and there was nobody there. So she came in and filled a, a, a goal. Um, the others worked with me. They all do a month in pediatric nephrology, and some came back and did electives, and they were not scared by the work. I think what turned a lot of people turns a lot of people off is it's hard work. Quite apart from the clinics and the ward rounds, if a patient comes with acute kidney injury, then you may be up the whole night because the catheter isn't working or the blood pressure is not controlled. While all the other consultants are at home and they see you as a sole person there. So what is really too interested in taking that on? Mm. But the towards the end, when we had money to fund people to, to go away, in fact, all three new pediatric nephrologists, the last three are from the same graduation group. And they're all very, very motivated to change things and we really, there's only one male who wasn't, who is interested, who went away, but he went to the U.S. and he's more academically minded. And I don't think there's a lot of academic growth here. Maybe I can uh, just ask a question slightly biased because I am a woman. Um, so I have a, a real vested interest in seeing women do well because there is gender imbalance when we look globally. But when we look to Jamaica, there is a slightly different kind yes. of gender imbalance. Um, and I guess... Um, I'd, I'd be really keen for to understand how you've done that, um, and you know, do you think you yourself 
as an individual have you know almost set the scene for pediatric nephrology in Jamaica? Um, I think people get. I'm I'm very passionate about what I do, and you either like it or you don't. <laughs> so, but people who have a similar passion, it will attract. It will attract them, and I think it's kind of the the, the framework. When I came back, I must admit to you, my in the, those days, which were the old days, you could do your nephrology training, pediatric nephrology training as the final year of your pediatric residency program. So that's what I did. So when I came back, honestly, by that time, they'd introduced an exam and made it a two-year program by 1981. I felt less than. And I even stopped calling myself a pediatric nephrologist. I said nephrologist with pediatric interest. And then after a while it dawned on me, well, you're still doing something. <laughs> so and I pressed on and then I figured that if I could train people so that each successive person is better trained than I ever was. So the first pediatric nephrologist after me, um, that was my protege, she came back and moved ahead with introducing our own pediatric dialysis service. And the last two, well, the last one at University Hospital with the the newest one at Bustamante Hospital participated in our first kidney kids pediatric transplant. So with each person moves it a little bit and I'm kind of there at the background encouraging everybody and helping to put in place the facilities and the supplies that allow it to keep going. You must have a lot of contacts to support this training because surely you don't do it all yourself. Um, how have you um, engaged people to support you with training? Um, well, in the, the training part, well, each, each pediatric nephrologist has somebody that works with them for a month. So you teach them as much as you can. And if they show an interest, then they may come back and do an elective. But through the foundation, we were able to get funding through ISN as well as IPNA fellowships to have them go away to the various um, places um to be trained formally in terms of teaching the island and children about nephrology my daughter was kind of the shaker and mover because she i would go to the schools but she had a special way of engaging the children where i would talk to the adults and the two of us would do the the educational part then we trained um, a group everybody who joins with us on our, our outreach projects gets a tutorial on kidney disease. So they kind of know what they're talking about and they're able to tell, spread it to people. So you start off with the two of us and then you spread it to people who know something and it goes on and on and on. Well, and, you know, Aline, I, I, I just can't resist on actually naming the, you know, this wonderful women that, uh, that really formed the current um, workforce of pediatric nephrology. <laughs> in Jamaica, um, Joy Willens, um, Jamaica Second, uh, Marsha Gooden, Rebecca Thomas-Chen, Sandrika Young-Pert, and Nadia McLean. That's the group, right? Right. I'm so Nadia, sure. yeah. Nadia is, is especially special because of all the groups she had to wait longest to go because we had to raise the money. <laughs> But in the interim, from her graduation to the time she finally left, 
I started going, she's in the Western end of the island that has no pediatrics, nephrologist service at all. So when she went back, I started doing clinics at Cornwall Regional so she could keep her expertise alive. And then she would also see consults. We would we would discuss. Now she's back. She has started the first pediatric nephrology service in Western Jamaica. What a what a fantastic story we're hearing today. Um, maybe we'll shift gears here and talk a little bit about the future. What do you think? So what are the you know what what's still to be done? I mean, what what do you see are the next um, challenges that you have in your vision to the future? Mm. What I would like to see happening in my lifetime is that Central Jamaica gets a pediatric nephrologist. I keep speaking to the pedi pediatricians down there to find out if there is anybody who is interested. Um, but remember, you have to have a pediatric degree first. And so there is somebody who is interested, but she just had a baby and hasn't started the pediatric program yet. So it may be another four, four or five years before, you know, we can try getting her into a program because it's very hard for people who like 120 miles away to come to Kingston every day for dialysis. Although we have previously done home PD with cyclers that were donated um, and with fluid that we donate, so then to do at home but it's not possible for all the kids because some of them don't have the electricity running water and all the requirements that would be needed. Central Jamaica is clearly a priority, but if we're thinking 50 years down the line, what do you want to see there? Um, you know, really okay. thinking about what you've done in 30 years, so maybe in the 30 years, what will what would Jamaican mythology look like? I This is what I'd like. I'd like that we'd have our own pediatric nephrology physical space because it's kind of traumatic for the kids the, the adults kind of pop off beside them they're sitting beside somebody getting hemodialysis and all of a sudden never seizure and die beside them it's a little bit traumatic um that we have our own place and we have a period pediatric nurses that are trained to look after kids and the other big area that we hope we'll get into next year which is a kind of the the um brainchild of rebecca is to start neonatal dialysis. We have not started that yet, but we are trying to apply for some support to get the nurses trained. We already have gotten some financial support to get at least the startup equipment in terms of catheters and drain bags and so on. So I think that is something that will happen next year. Um, I'd like to see transplantation on the cards, but the children who need transplantation, now they're only doing live donor and the parents are not a match. And the kind of very good, the deceased donor program is like not really getting anywhere. But that's mostly in the kind of ambit of the adult nephrologist. Um, I don't know, maybe if next year I have energy, <laughs> energy I will start working with them because it's a complaint and they say people are not donating. But the framework is not there if a mass of them decided to do so. Um, in the long term, and it has started already, I would like to see the Caribbean with a, a pediatric nephrology team. We have already, uh, we have a little WhatsApp group because there are only five pediatric nephrologists in the moment, but seven or five and two. So there is in Haiti, there is Judith Exantos, who is the only pediatric nephrologist in Haiti. And there is Nicole Solomon, who is the only pediatric nephrologist in Trinidad. But it would be good that, you know, like in, there would be 
somebody with nephrology training, pediatric nephrology training in each of the islands because they do have a big population of kids who need help. And at this time, some of the islands, they have a special um, charitable arrangement with big societies where the kids go abroad. But, you know, sometimes if they had somebody local, you might have been able to prevent the CKD in the first place. So perhaps we can ask you a question that hopefully could provide some, some help to you, you know, the, the wonderful work you've been doing. If, if someone wants to give uh, the Jamaica Kidney Fund uh, Foundation some um, help, how can they do? We have a website. Right now, it's a little bit dilapidated. <laughs> it's being, being revised slowly. It's kidneykidja.com, kidneykidsja.com. And there is a site that says donate. Our email address is also there. So if there is something that assistance that can be made, like in training or just discussion, um, if they email us, we respond and we'll just be happy to hear from whoever is interested. That's really um, fantastic. And I think we are getting close to the end. Maureen, anything else you would like to you know, say? Perhaps you know, to those young, uh, young pediatric uh, docs around the world that, um, that are thinking or considering pediatric nephrology as a speciality, what, what would be the message to, the, to those? I am encouraging. The thing is, I think if you, pediat choosing pediatric nephrology is a calling, it's not something that you're going to say, well, what can I choose from? Am I going to do surgery? Am I going to do this? Something has to pull you to the specialty and you have to love it because it's a lot of work. When I came back, all children with end-stage kidney disease died. No, no kid dies from end-stage kidney disease. And you have to want to make a difference. That last sentence that you said, I mean, how many nephrologists, never mind pediatric nephrologists, can say that they brought that degree of change to their country and their country's children? Um, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this podcast as well. Thank you. I'm in awe. I'm a little bit fangirl right now. But <laughs> Thank you. It was lovely talking to you both. We have to thank ISN and Ipna because the kids would have, the young people would not have been able to be trained without their sisters. That's right. Uh, well, um, this was um, today's episode of the Global Kidney Care Podcast. We talked to the super Maureen Miller, um, the first pediatric nephrologist in Jamaica and responsible for huge changes that happened in that country. Uh, congratulations, Maureen, and big fan too. Um, you've done a fantastic job. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It was lovely being here and thanks a lot for asking.